0: This is the MG Car Club Podcast with Wayne Scott and Adam Sloman. On this episode, we talk about MG X-Power and a press release from the brand's return to top-level motorsport way back in 2001. Plus, we chat to member Tom McCooey about his emotional journey restoring the family magnet in his father's memory. The MG Car Club Podcast welcome then to another mg car club podcast hope you're doing well wayne scott with you adam sloman over in kimber house joins us once again hiya adam
1: hello wayne how you doing
0: good i'm very good as normal here we are slightly later in the week recording this than we normally record our weekly podcast because we record this just after the august bank holiday 2020 so if you're listening to this months in advance or years from now it's like a little time capsule welcome along if you're listening to our podcast the moment it gets published as we publish them every saturday the mg car club podcast every week i know it's amazing i uh, hope you've had a nice bank holiday and as summer draws to a close that you've enjoyed your mgs and are still enjoying your mgs you never know a nice september might be on the cards adam you're in kimber house things are busy lots of preparations for mg social going on i understand
1: yeah it's been really busy um there's loads going on at the moment we've got a lot of projects kicking off here at kimber house which are strictly hush hush so i can't really share them with you at the moment but there will be some really exciting things coming uh, down the line fairly soon and uh, yeah we're we're very much sort of focusing on getting uh, getting together in october
0: well of course it is the 90th anniversary of the mg car club this year and due to the current pandemic of course we haven't been able to get out and do the events that we usually would like to have done but we have some light at the end of the tunnel we've mentioned this before it is the mg social taking place this coming october on october the 10th saturday at the british motor museum at gaydon in warwickshire and it's just nice to be getting out and actually having an event to look forward to at last isn't it adam
1: Yeah and that's the feedback we've had from a lot of people you know regular podcast listeners who get in touch with us you know obviously we've spoken about the event on here yeah really looking forward to it.
0: Of course the problem we've had is that we've been restricted from running events because of the legislation in the UK currently saying that 30 people can't gather together and other restrictions about people indoors people outdoors but some businesses and venues hospitality businesses and venues and events companies have been given special permissions to run events and lucky for us the british motor museum is one of those venues so whilst our local group meets aren't happening yet um, our natters and uh, the meetings of our regional centers here in the mg car club of course going by going to a venue like the british motor museum uh, that has meant that we've been able to plan something at least Uh, obviously things are changing all the time but we have been able to plan something and kind of ride on the back of the fact that they're able to accommodate it. I guess.
1: Yeah, I mean that's that's the big thing is is the safety element. You know, they've they've they're a fully COVID compliant uh, venue. Um, so knowing that when we go there, they've got all the track and trace in place and and all the things that we need to keep everyone as safe as possible. Um, really does make it a, a perfect venue for us to come together and and mark our ninetieth anniversary. Absolutely. Well,
0: keep up to date with it via the MG Car Club website, mgcc.co.uk. All the information on there, and of course, our weekly e newsletter as well, which, if you don't receive already, you will receive if you're a member of the club. And you can join via mgcc.co.uk or click the Join Now button on the MG Car Club podcast page at mgpodcast.uk. Loads of ways you can get involved. Or actually, you can just sign up to receive our newsletter via the website there as well. And talking of the 90th anniversary, coming up this weekend is kind of the pre anniversary of the anniversary, in that the club started before its inaugural event or meeting in Stevenage at the Roebuck Inn, which I believe is now a curry house, isn't it, Adam?
1: it is um i'm not uh, i'm not overly familiar with uh, with stevenage or curries for that matter so um maybe i need to head over there and and, and try a curry but yeah it is a, it's a curry house today
0: well maybe we should pop up after gaydon on the 12th on the very day and just pop in for a lambooner.
1: oh why not mate <laughs>
0: <laughs> but of course there was uh, before that first meeting took place all of these things usually in this era started with a letter to a magazine and that magazine was the light car and cycle car and the letter was written by a guy called roy marsh and i'll share the letter with you now uh we've posted this on our social media as well if you want to go and have a look at the actual copy of the letter itself but the letter was entitled why not an mg club now, bearing in mind, this is 1930 when this is written. He says, being a very interested reader of the Light Car and Cycle Car, I noticed that a number of one-make clubs have been formed lately with very satisfactory results. I'm trying to think who those other clubs might have been 90 years ago, because not many clubs celebrate 90 years this year. But tell us if you know. Get in touch. And he continues. He says, uh, now midget enthusiasts, uh, what about an MG car club? There are hundreds of you and surely there are some very enjoyable social runs and trials that could be arranged they love a good trial in the 1930s mg owners didn't they yeah yeah, definitely (laughs) perhaps mg owners would let me have their opinions on the idea and he left his address there for everyone to write to him with their opinions that was roy marsh and that really adam was the catalyst wasn't it that letter that started the move towards that first ever event on the 12th of october 1930 at the roebuck inn in stevenage
1: yeah it's all roy's fault basically um (laughs) but no it's incredible that you know we're sitting here 90 years later all but um and that one letter to that magazine sort of kicked this all off you know it's um it's amazing and i love the fact that we've still got the magazine that led to the formation of our club so amazing really
0: Mm, fantastic well of course we'll be digging out more stuff from the archives over the coming weeks before the end of the 90th anniversary year and sharing them with you and we'll be running something cool on social media soon which is 90 years in nine days i shall say no more about it than that but only to say that they there will be some unseen images and unseen footage we hope that we're going to dig out of the Kimber House archives and share on our social media streams for you dear listener to enjoy and from 90 years ago to right now because Adam you've had the pleasure of driving one of MG's latest offerings tell us all about it
1: yeah so I've just spent a week um, with an MG HS exclusive um, and you know, we did the we did the press launch uh, in late 2019 when the when the car actually launched. But um, it's very hard to to get much of a judgment on a car um, on a press launch because you might get an hour, maybe a little bit longer with the car. So to have a week with the HS has been. Really interesting. What do you think the market's going to be for it? Realistically, we know what market they're aiming at,
0: but realistically, who do you think is going to be buying this car? Who do you think it's going to appeal to, having now lived
1: with it for a few days? I can see it appealing to people, you know, families. Um, I can see it appealing to people like Sarah, um, my other half, you know, at the moment she drives uh, a GS. Um, We've had that GS for just over four years, Um, and the GS has been great but the hs really does move that sort of level of quality up a notch and yeah i'm genuinely very very impressed with the car after a week with it
0: well we spoke to lorraine on a recent podcast just a few episodes ago a lorraine noble thompson who had picked hers up from birmingham and driven it to scotland on the first day of her ownership and was really impressed with it obviously they're marketing themselves mg more and more heavily on the technology that's on board their cars so what are the cool toys that the hs is packing at the
1: minute i don't think there's anything that it hasn't got um (laughs) there are things on there that even i was surprised with um so straight away once you get in it you've got full uh full leather interior which is lovely um but you've got the full suite of mg pilot Um, safety systems on there so you've got uh, front impact radar so if someone suddenly breaks in front of you the car will tell you Um, you've got um, reversing cameras obviously most cars these days have got reversing cameras but this has got sensors in it if you're reversing out of a driveway and someone's coming down the road towards you the car will tell you so that the the blind spot is sort of eliminated Um, it makes a lot of of beeps and bongs it tells you when uh, the wheels aren't straight it's got uh, lane um lane deviation warning systems on it so if you if you drift outside your lane if you're perhaps tired and you're you're not at your best at the wheel maybe need to take a break the car will tell you um yeah really incredible sort of range of safety systems on it so from that point of view um for a family you know it does tick an awful lot of boxes well this is how of course they are selling cars and this is
0: what the consumer market is after you know as car enthusiasts we kind of still like to focus on engines and that kind of stuff but actually your main consumer out there is interested in what gadgets and toys and bits of technology that are on board the car and mg have got to respond to that and create cars that they're able to sell to people in the way that they understand and technology is one of the things that people are buying into at the moment of course and frankly the engines in the cars they're not that exciting they just do a really good job at being very reliable and not getting you into any trouble really don't they
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, the the most important thing for me with a lot of the new MGs is the inclusion of things like Android Auto and Apple CarPlay because it means you can plug your phone in it reduces the temptation to fiddle around with your phone and not concentrate on the road you know you do i don't care what anyone says if you're if you're looking at your phone you're not concentrating properly on the road um so things like android auto will read messages to you Uh, but most importantly mate it makes it really easy to listen to podcasts well that's the most important
0: thing let's be honest you know you've got to be in your new mg listening to me and you haven't you really? Exactly. MG Car Club podcast all the way. All those long journeys that will suddenly fly by with entertainment because you've got us riding with you it's it's the way what more could you want absolutely well of course uh, (laughs) we'll be doing more on the hs over the coming weeks and months here on the podcast and in our magazine safety fast the september issue of which has just landed and has got a great story actually on the front cover the story of kimber house because not only is it 90 years of the club this year but also 30 years since the car club arrived at kimber house back in the spiritual home of mg of course in abingdon i thought i'd just have a look at the general classic car news and just something i've picked up really is some of the feedback and conversations really in the classic car marketplace about just how the industry has been affected by covid 19 this year and how businesses are finding it and overall reading through the magazines and the press and the newspapers and talking to some of the industry leaders themselves it's quite interesting actually some businesses say they haven't been affected at all and they're just getting along with things others say that they've had some problems with supply of equipment and products that they then obviously resell but mainly Our sector seems to be doing pretty well. In fact, a lot of the parts suppliers did well through lockdown because, with people at home with nothing else to do, a lot of us got on with those jobs on our cars that previously we didn't have the time to do. Others also have decided that now's the time, while they're not using their car because events aren't running, to take it into a restore and have that work that it's been desperately needing for years finished off as well. So, as a whole, the classic car industry at the moment is looking like it's weathering the storm pretty well and that's the same feedback that we're getting from club partners as well isn't it adam
1: yeah definitely i mean i, I think i said to you the other day you know one of the things that, one of the good things i think that's come out of the the lockdown and the whole pandemic is the fact that it has given us all time um it's given us the time and the opportunity to focus on our hobbies to look at the things that we really do care about and really do enjoy and we've seen it, you know. We've seen it with 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 memberships, with renewals, with you know comments from from people engaging in the magazine, people listening to us. Um, it's been a it's been a hell of a year, but if we can take anything positive from the whole pandemic, it is the fact that we've we've had time to stop and take a bit of a breath and look at the things that are important to us. Absolutely, and one of the things that has come through very clearly is that. A lot of the
0: smaller businesses in particular have managed to weather the storm because of using the furlough scheme as well so yeah whilst those staff were away they've also been able to sort of just I guess reassess their businesses and become better businesses for it um just like we've all as you say taken more time over our hobbies to enjoy them as well so and good things here for the MG Car Club um we're doing well on membership renewals and um there's always a lot of interest for members here as well isn't there
1: yeah and the, the good thing is that that MG doesn't stop even if you weren't able to buy the new cars you know we've got um, 90 years of club history to look at we've got almost 100 years of a manufacturer to look at so yeah there's there's so much to dig into and so much to enjoy with the car club and with the mg community as a whole and outside of restorers and businesses selling parts the auction houses selling cars have
0: been doing really well and in particular some of the later mgs have been really fetching some really nice numbers at auction um rubber bumper mgb's for example reaching 10 grand plus in recent times which is good values for those later models isn't
1: it it's nice to see that those rubber bumper cars sort of are finally getting their day because we've always said to people, you know, that the the rubber bumper cars are every bit as much fun as the earlier cars, but they don't carry that price premium. Um, But it seems now that um, the rubber cars are being sort of perhaps more appreciated. It's something I've never quite understood, I have to be honest. You, You know,
0: such a massive value difference between a chrome bumpered car and a rubber bumpered car now i appreciate because there'll be people saying no no but they're higher the suspensions are different on the later cars yes i know all of that but they can be lowered very easily so i appreciate the ride height on say a later mgb is slightly higher than an earlier mgb and some might say that that creates a bit more body roll or whatever but fundamentally it is a massive price gap for something that you can't see when you're driving it
1: (laughs) you know? <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's a huge. I, I've never really got it, and, and not only that. I think from you know, don't get me wrong. The the chrome cars are are, are lovely looking cars, mm. um but from an aesthetic point of view, um, I don't. I think something like an inky yellow midget with black bumpers um is really hard to beat. I just think they look superb. Yeah, absolutely. Well, they're MGs. We love them all, and especially yours. If you're driving
0: around in a rubber bumper car and you're not joining the club yet just know that you will be welcome amongst
1: us definitely i don't think there's an mg that i don't love (laughs) absolutely right
0: 2001 it was an amazing year it was already ladies and gentlemen 19 years ago i know it doesn't seem that long ago but something massive happened in the world of mg in 2001 and i'm really excited to be talking about this because it is that moment where we send adam down to the kimber house archives to dig out something very special for us to chat about and share with you the listener but also this week it's another opportunity for me to get all geeky about le mans now stop your groaning i don't want to hear it because this is really important turning point
1: in the history of mg adam tell us more so this week from the archive i bring you the original press release uh, from the 26th of april 2001 that marks the launch of mg x power fantastic moment yes
0: I remember this day very, very clearly because at that time, there, was, there had not been for some time any real prominent British marks racing in World Sports Car Championships. And in particular at Le Mans, you had plenty of British drivers and there were plenty of rumours of other cars that were coming down the line. There were rumours that TVR were going to enter a works team, which of course they did with that famous DeWalt sponsorship uh, and the purple cars as well uh, that they raced there a morgan turned up and did a heroic effort and of course bentley arrived in 2001 at leman and then went on through a three-year program to win in 2003 but everyone kind of knew that was an audi wearing a union jack but there was another british manufacturer that turned up on the scene at leman and it was mg and with their fantastic package that they put together with lola x power was really a brand that Found its way on the track and was launched for Le Mans of that year, but sort of found its way into all the road cars and every aspect of MG's operations in the early two thousands, didn't it?
1: Yeah, it really did. I mean, I don't know quite what magic was sort of bound up in in X Power, but it immediately struck a chord with so many MG fans, especially those guys um, and girls that were buying ZRs and ZSs and ZTs. You know, they wanted um, they wanted a piece of that X-Power magic in their car. Um, and you still see it today, you know, the, the value of um, that original merchandise from the early 2000s is crazy. People today still love X-Power every bit as much as they did um, back in the early 2000s.
0: Well they were allowed to enter at Le Mans really because there was a change in the rules for that year and it was a change in classes as well and along came in 2001 the lmp 675 class which was lightweight prototypes it would eventually evolve into lmp2 and that allowed manufacturers to come in with much smaller budgets and enter into prototype racing without having to take on the might of the lmp1 cars like uh, the Audis that were running at the time as well and mgx power entered and launched this brand with a fantastic lineup of drivers that year anthony reed who of course had made his name with the touring cars warren hughes johnny kane mark blundell who was already in 2001 a le mans legend julian bailey and kevin mcgarity they formed the two-car team that raced at le mans in 2001 and eventually of course a couple of years later they would go on with another amazing name at the wheel andy wallace of course who made his name famous racing those silk cut jaguars in the late 80s Uh, they went on to win what then became lmp2 much later on so a fantastic real meeting of minds between mg and lola um sadly lola is no longer with us they were based in huntingdon in cambridgeshire and were a fantastic outfit stretching over decades of motorsport history Um, sadly passed into history um, just a few years ago but x power sort of trickled on into other things didn't it especially touring cars
1: yeah, so it became very well known on the touring car scene with the ZS saloon um, driven uh, over. Well, it, it lasted a long, long time in uh, in the touring cars, and it was it was that car really that sort of alerted me to back in the day to what um, what MG were doing. I mean, I'd grown up as an MG fan, but seeing that touring car on a Sunday afternoon made me desperate to get one of my own um and it did you know it did that for for a lot of people it really did raise the profile of the brand massively in the uk
0: and found its way into the current crop of cars most recently as well
1: yes so XPower became sort of dormant in 2005 when mg rover collapsed but um the chinese obviously are very sort of reverent of the history and and the legacy that comes with the mg mark so it was really no surprise to see them sort of become aware of x power and look to use x power for their own motorsport programs which they have started doing um most recently with the new mg6 and a zs so in china at the moment you've got the mg6 which races in the china touring cars and the uh, wtcr um, and that wears the x power livery we saw that at the world motorsport games last year with rory butcher driving an x-power mg6 and we've like i said we've seen the uh, zs uh, become um, a motorsport vehicle uh, competing in the china rallycross championship so it's really good to see x-power sort of coming back
0: and of course we must mention x-power without putting a nod towards one of the finest and most exciting Well, I say concept cars, that's not really strictly true because, of course, they went into production and we've seen a few of them for sale in recent times. But that MGX power car, that... It just looks like it's from another planet, doesn't it, really? Especially when it was launched. It looked like something like the Batmobile, you know? Yeah,
1: very much so. I mean, that was really mg deciding to sort of go toe-to-toe with the likes of porsche um and and giving them a really good run for their money you know the sv is a it's a tremendous bit of kit um sort of shades of tvr with some of their more sort of layery design yeah. elements
0: Speed 12 era that was that yeah. was when they were all yeah. going mad for those sort of designs yeah
1: definitely and i think the sv is a, is a testament to all the things that the x power was you know it was in the words of rob Oldacre who was there when when the when the sub brand was launched mg is about outrageous fun and i don't think anything sums that up better than x power you know the x power brand ended up on all sorts of weird and wonderful things from from footstools to backpacks to even condoms you know it was (laughs) it was everywhere it was just crazy really crazy time well it was a
0: great idea of mg to have that sort of ultra tuning brand because of course in those days mg themselves were a tuning sub-brand really because the only real car to wear an mg badge in any great volume of course was the uh, mgf sports car and of course all of the zeds which were rebadged tuned sporty rovers in effect but quite interesting then that they felt the need to have a sub-brand of a sub-brand if you know what I mean. Uh, But of course, that's what it was. A little bit like, I suppose, M Sport with BMW.
1: Yeah, or AMG at Mercedes. You know, MG, so I've been asked, you know, what was the equivalent of an MG GTI? Well, there isn't one, because if you go back to the 80s and you look at the Metro Maestro Montego, um, if you were sort of, you know, a sensible chap, uh, you might buy an Austin Maestro or an Austin Montego, but if you were like me and you, Wayne, you know a bit more with it, a bit more hip, a bit more down with the kids, um, and it then worked. you'd get you <laughs> get yourself an MG version because yeah. that was the performance one. That was the the equivalent of the Golf GTI.
0: This is fantastic that you found this because quite exciting and i wasn't working in the motor industry at the time i was at university first year student in 2001 i was aware of all of this happening i was a massive fan i was already going to le mans every year this was my passion and i remember with such excitement x power Uh, releasing this press release uh, saying that mg were going to go to le mans and there were all other racing programs included with it as well and just looking down the list here they actually list the specifications of the mg lola ex257 the ex258 which was the rally car the touring car the 259 and it was a real sort of moment where you realize that perhaps this british brand that we all loved it was going to come back and it was going to come back to top line motorsport it was really exciting and I remember it vividly as if it was
1: yesterday you look at the the rally uh, ZR project you know they they had uh, Gwyneth Evans driving that car Mm. amazing driver you look at the touring car project um, you know later on you get people like Colin Turkington Mm. um, behind the wheel of the ZS so yeah it was a really exciting time and I, I remember it just as fondly as you do mate
0: well hopefully we'll get to see x power on the side of mg's in more high level competition yet to come and as the sports car uh, championship changes and evolves into the future perhaps just perhaps we might see something like the cyberster join the field of le mans prototypes and le mans hypercars in the future and whilst that might be a pivotal moment in mg's history we're about to talk to a member of the mg car club whose very special mg magnet was a pivotal moment in his family's history our interview with tom mccuey is next the mg car club podcast the mg car club the mark of friendship to take advantage of our many membership benefits access to our centers and registers and to receive your copy of safety fast magazine join us now at mgcc.go.uk. sharing your passion for mg on the
2: mg car club podcast
0: well now on the mg car club podcast we're talking to someone that if you're a reader of classic car weekly you may well be familiar with his story it is tom mccoy and he has been well documenting the rebuild of an mg magnet in the pages of classic car weekly tom welcome to the podcast
2: hi lovely to be on thank you very much
0: Good to hear from you. We've been following the story of your lovely uh, MG ZA Magnet through the last few issues of Classic Car Weekly, and uh, it's nice, actually, really, just to see the Magnet getting a bit of press for a change, isn't it?
2: Yeah, 100%. I mean, it's something that I've always grown up with. Uh, we've seen other cars in the press, and Magnets are, are still a rarity, but when I was a kid as well, to find a magazine article with one in, you'd buy a copy straight away just because the Magnet was in there. So hopefully a few other owners slash enthusiasts feel the same way when you see mine in the in the magazine and pick it up
0: absolutely well we're a big fan of the magnet here on the mg car club podcast and me in particular it is on my hit list of cars i must own but let's talk about your history with mg let's go right back to the beginning of tom and where your love for cars came from
2: yeah absolutely so um the magnet my dad's um had the magnet. It's a funny, uh, funny story how it came about, really. One of his mates drove past his house uh, in it when he bought it and said, oh, look, at my dad was like, look at this car, it's wonderful. And he said, yeah, well, you can have it if you want. It's for sale. And he said, why? He said, because I took it home and my missus said it's either the car or me. So, you know, there was a bit of a no-brainer there. So my dad bought it off off his mate uh, to sort of save a marriage, really. Um, and then it became my parents' wedding car. And then... What happens to a lot of cars, I think, happened, and my parents had us, and the Magnet went in the garage and didn't come out again. Um, So I grew up with it, just sat in the garage the whole time, admiring it and not much else. And then, sadly, my dad died in 2014, and the Magnet was mine with 30 years' worth of inactivity meaning it needed restoring so hopefully we're near the end of that process now
0: describe the car to those people who might not have seen the article it's a 1956 model isn't it and it's finished it in is, yeah. in stunning it, uh taxicab black i think is the best way to cab describe black, it yeah
2: definitely <laughs> in fact it's actually one of the titles of the articles is why is there a taxi in the garage because that was always the question whenever anyone came <laughs> round to, to play with us from school or birthday parties anything like that if the garage door was open why is there a taxi in the garage and I can see the resemblance through a child's eyes of that in an Austin FX4 but really as we as we know they are quite different um, but so yeah it's taxi cab black and uh, I think it's maroon is the colour just in yeah maroon interior really well of course uh,
0: when it was launched in the uh, 1950s the MG Magnet was the sporty saloon that MG had on offer at the time and really wasn't really superseded until the MG Montego of the 1980s so quite an important car for MG at the time of course it was delayed while they put that performance engine in the what was uh, commonly regarded as a Wolseley body but of course there are many more differences and you must have uncovered some of those differences in the restoration project
2: Yeah, definitely, especially with panels, because when you first go in you just think, Oh, they're the same as Wolsey panels, and I think it's only the boot lid, which is exactly the same and everything else is ever so slightly different, mm. and obviously the bonnet looks very different because of that grill as well. Um but when you there's so many times I've seen a Wolsey four forty four go past on telly or or something like that, and you think, Oh, there's oh no, it's not a magnet. And it it is just the silhouette is so similar. Uh, but like I said, there are those key differences um, all over the place, really. So when you look hunting for bits, um, th- there's only really a couple of places you can go to. But fortunately, um, they've not let me down yet.
0: And how are parts presenting themselves during this restoration? Because, you know, GT is no problem. You can buy a whole shell from uh, Heritage if you really need one. But magnets, I'm guessing, not quite so easy.
2: Yeah, there's a... There's a few panels that you you have to sort of manipulate, shall we say, to to get to fit. And I'm guessing that's more of a problem with the car than the actual panels because of age and use and things like that. Uh, but most things have been really easy to get hold of. There's um, a place called NTG in Ipswich, which, which have helped me out. And obviously Peter Martin, who's the magnet historian for the club, um, he tends to have stuff. I, I imagine, I've never visited him, but I imagine he's got some sort of store room in a basement or something um where he's just got shelves and shelves of bits. So he's like, Oh yeah, one of those really obscure bits. I've got one. He had a grub screw for my fog lamp switch which I was I thought was gone. I thought that was it. And I uh, know he uh, said, yeah, I've got one of those, send it over. Um, he's been really, really helpful. So bits I've been quite fortunate with. I've not had to do any replacements with anything like uh, Frankenstein parts, uh, which is good. The only bad thing is that with uh, with the inactivity of the car for 30 years, is most things I've come across have had to be cleaned up or replaced just because they've just not been used, which obviously, as we know, is the, the worst thing you can do for a car, really. mm mm-hmm.
0: It must be amazing to be restoring a car, putting so much time and effort into a vehicle that you've never driven and you've never really had any experience of having it on the road. It mean, nope. I, I must be a brilliant moment when that engine fired for the first time.
2: It was emotional. I just wish my dad had been there. It's definitely a grief project, I will admit that. There's There's more desirable cars to many other people, uh, although not not to me, obviously. Um, but having never driven one is weird. Um, there's one or two chances I've had in the past where I thought, do you know what, I'll give it a go. And um, I actually want mine to be the first one to drive, so if it's a terrible experience, it's, it's my fault, so be it. Although I'm really hoping it's not, and I've heard that it's not from a lot of people. Um, but it's definitely doing this for my dad, really, because we tried to, um, to resurrect the car about 18 years ago. Um, but my interest in cars sort of started to surface, um, and buying the car magazines and getting more involved. And then my little brother was born, and they sort of shelved the project again. Um so the only chance we've had since then, really, was when the car was passed to me when my dad died. Because after after we could just started it again. It was too ill, really. And um, so yeah, it's it's more of a nod to him, really. I can't, I just can't wait to get it done and just but yeah that was
0: for you and this is the thing about classic cars isn't it it is more than just a mode of transport more than just some metal and some wheels and tires it's about memories and what these cars mean to people and you've got a specific story here where that car is sort of integral to your family story isn't it yeah
2: 100 percent. i mean um well yeah. uh, the the initial aim was for, for me to use it for for my own wedding car last year and we just sort of it, it sort of crept up um a little bit too quickly for us to just get the the final bits done properly and it wouldn't have been right really to to use a half finished car uh, which was a shame it's not sort of it's not dented the um the enthusiasm to get get the project done and um just have it as my free car really and um, because even though it was inactive and sat in the garage the whole time i knew it growing up it, that car is my dad he, he despite the fact that he wasn't driving it when i was a kid it was all he ever talked about it was his facebook banner picture it was uh, in a, a picture of it was in a frame on his desk at work it was all he'd ever talk about so you knew how much it meant to him even though he wasn't using it so it, it had to be done really and it's got to the point that even though i've never driven it it means the same to me now because of those memories like you said
0: absolutely well i can tell you that i've driven plenty of magnets and you're going to love it they're a fantastic car and quite nippy actually good performance yeah. despite the fact that they're quite a big body and from the 1950s uh they are quite quick so you'll enjoy it
2: now you say that about having quite a big body actually but when um when it rolled out the garage for the first time it was like right we're doing this and i saw it on the road i thought gosh, this car looks tiny it looks so huge in the garage but it was next to a midget and that's that's great fun uh, but it'd be really nice to just have the collection complete and, and up and running again. It's definitely an MG family then. 100%. Uh, I believe my dad was part of the MG Owners Club, if I'm allowed to say so. I'm the MG Car Club when um, we were growing up. And uh, he's always been involved in writing articles and things like that. Um, and I think that my mum was always into cars as well. Where MG sort of came about when she met my dad and he had a midget. uh a 1976 rubber bumpered one. <laughs> and then she got her 1980s, when It's one of the last 500, actually, um, and it sort of like became an MG family from there, really. So even though a lot of people have their opinions about the last midgets and the 1500s being the worst of the lot, they're actually my favourites again for sentimental reasons. purely
0: tell us then about some of the stages of the restoration that you've been through, starting from when you dragged it out the garage after it being sat there for so long. What was the first job that you had to undertake?
2: Well, the first job was unseizing the brakes. <laughs> the, back, the, the back brakes were stuck on, and um, my mum was having a new garage door at the time, actually. And I thought, you know, what? this is a good time to get started because the car's got to be moved out anyway. So let's do that. So I took the um, I took the drums off, basically, with a mallet, really, because they were so rusted on and got them free. The problem was, then I then couldn't get them back on. <laughs> so uh, that was a good job, and obviously the engine was seized as well. Um, So after breaking the starting handle, trying to turn it by hand, I stupidly read, if you pour diesel in the spark plug sockets, that might help. And not realizing it meant a little tiny bit of diesel, I put gallons of stuff down. (laughs) And um, when we came to do the rebuild in the end, there was a lot of sludge in there that needed cleaning out. Um, So it went to um, a place called Quest Classic Car Restoration in Oral for a bit of a rundown just to sort of see what was what really and as we all know restoring a car it's a can of worms you can't just look at a car and go it's going to be this many hours and this much money so we thought right well what we'll do the bodywork needed doing um because the the sills were basically like a tea bag when you touch it which obviously it won't do so the bodywork in the engine went for a rebuild came back to me uh new wiring looms gone in new fuel pump bits and bobs like that um Obviously, a new exhaust, because the silencers that corroded away, or basically, you name it, it's gone on. Uh, We're retaining as much of the original stuff as we can, um, but, you know, in the grounds of safety, not putting things on that don't work or aren't safe. Um, And the interior's all still original, so clean that up, put that back in. So, basically, the last job to do now is um, the clutch was playing up, um, being a bit leaky. So we've got a new secondary cylinder to go on because uh, the seals didn't fix the leak. So we just thought, you know what, let's replace that cylinder and see what happens. And hopefully, fingers crossed, uh, that'll do it. So in anticipation of that, we've got the historic status applied for and taxed and insured. Because obviously, with the car being off the road since the 80s, um, it was still registered as a as a normal vehicle with the DVLA, so we've got that sorted out. Uh, so, hoping the second that's done, I can then drive it. fingers crossed. We're going to have to
0: have you back on the podcast after you have driven it for the first time. Um, yeah. <laughs> what's been the most challenging part of the rebuild so far? And, and is there any pitfalls you can warn other magnet restorers of as they go forward?
2: The hardest bit has been emotional rather than actual work on the car because everything's doable. Um, there's always somebody who can fabricate a piece of metal there's always someone who can weld something for you or make something up for you it's just how far you're willing to go with it and how many phone calls you're willing to take where you get news that actually this is going to take a lot longer than we anticipated and how many setbacks you're willing to deal with um, there's times as well where I've had the car at home and I've been doing things like taking the fuel tank out which is a really hard thing to do on a Saturday, by the way and then um, you know you're just a little bit keen with the w d forty and the screwdriver gets you in the hand and it stings and that kind of stuff it's those little setbacks of the the finance side of it as well which you just think oh, how many more bad phone calls can I take or how many more bad credit card statements can I see um, and I think the reason I've just sort of stupidly persevered is because of that sentimental attachment which obviously we know is is a pitfall with with classic car ownership so I think really the the big one is like anything of the era, really, is rust, isn't it? Um, but once the bodywork sorted out, it was sort of a Meccano set. After that, it was just being patient, really, and just waiting for parts and putting them on as you get them. Um, but the very, very worst moment throughout the whole thing was when the passenger side was being welded and um, I went in to see it and there were no doors no so it there was a brace put in because it had gone like a banana when it went up on the lift cuz it the car couldn't support itself and I just thought what have I done I wish I'd not started this and um, and that was about 18 months ago and if I could see where we are now I'd I'd have felt okay but at the time I just I was absolutely distraught so yeah there quite a few moments like that really
0: well everyone who's ever restored a car knows that it has to get a lot worse before it gets better doesn't it and 100%, uh, yeah,
2: yeah. We... And, oh god it got a lot worse a lot
0: worse. <laughs> we all go through that um so as we stand here in the first week of september 2020 talking to you about this car what is left to do
2: um, hopefully literally the sleigh cylinder and the put the driver's seat back in and I hope, really, really, really hope that's it. Unless when we're on the road test, something happens, like it jumps out of gear or there's a leak springs from somewhere else. But I really, really hope that's it then.
0: And I'm guessing lockdown has delayed things a little bit further on from where you thought you yeah. might be.
2: Yeah, definitely, because the bodywork wasn't quite finished when lockdown started. And rightly, the um, uh, workshop that the car was in said didn't uh, shut down and just tried to assess the situation and sort, of make sure the staff were safe before letting them come back to work. So there was a period of a few weeks when nothing happened, which, while obviously is a little bit frustrating because you're waiting for a car, you have to think, like, OK, well, we don't really know what this thing is. We don't know how dangerous it is, and we just need to, to make sure everyone's safe at first. So that that was a bit of a waiting game. Um, but after that, they've they really worked at a pace to get the car back to to a point where I can just do the little bits of mechanicals that are left
0: and i know that uh, just shortly after lockdown that was the moment wasn't it where you donned your face mask and you popped in and Mm. they started it for the very first time
2: yeah that was absolutely wonderful feeling they said do you want to hear it and i just nodded and just got really really excited about it and hearing it go it was it was sluggish and it was loud because the exhaust wasn't on Uh, and it was on for a couple of seconds just to show me but um i think they knew because i'd never heard it before that it was going to be a a bit of a a boost if you will a bit of a moral boost because I was a bit um, I was a bit down about the whole process and feeling like we weren't getting anywhere but once you hear it going you think right okay we've done the right thing we've saved a car here uh, which is a really nice feeling
0: It's great to hear that uh, you had so much help from the MG Car Club. That is what the Mm. worldwide MG Car Club family is all about, helping a fellow man in need when he's restoring his ZA magnet. And uh, you mentioned that you'd been talking to Peter Martin, who is, of course, our uh, magnet register historian. It must have been a good boost for you as well to have got that help from the club and know that that knowledge is within the MG Car Club to make sure you've got help in the future. Yeah,
2: 100%. And not just Mark model... Um, specific sort of help as well but speaking to people like uh, Adam Sloman as well just about general you know, car club chit chat and just having that moral support of someone asking nicely how the car is going without being sort of like watching over your shoulder sort of thing just you know genuine, genuinely interested and um, obviously Paul as well who um, wrote the Magnet book has been in touch a couple of times and you can just tell there's a genuine interest not just in Magnets but in someone's story really because it's not just about the cars like you said it's its social history which is also really important and people's family stories as well which again you can't put a price on that
0: absolutely well we're all supporting you and we're all rooting for you and i'm actually excited on your behalf for the first time you drive it it's going to be a great experience <laughs> when do you think that's going to be
2: and uh, it really depends on when our baby's born because that could be any day now really so I'm hoping it's going to be in the next fortnight or so that I manage to nip out. i weather dependent as well. Um, so I'm just trying to plot what sort of route I'd go on and where I'd go and who I'd go and show off to, really, <laughs> just like drive past and knock on doors and say, hey, do you remember? And there's a lot of people around as well who knew my dad who'd be absolutely made up for him as well as me. Um, so, yeah, I can't wait for that. Hopefully in the next couple of weeks it'll be it'll be time to go and have a drive
0: well i think the timing's fantastic with a newborn on the way that little one will get to grow up in a family where there's a working magnet and you can hopefully then pass that down and the next generation of enjoyment in your family of that car will continue eh that's definitely the plan what a fantastic story well yes. tom we will check in with you once you've got it started and you've driven it for the first time uh do let us know when that happens so we can check back with you and get your reactions on your first drive here on the mg car club podcast but uh, from the mg car club good luck with it tom we're rooting for you let us know when it's on the road
2: that's wonderful thank you so much it means a lot the mg car club
0: podcast <laughs> safety fast the magazine of the MG Car Club. Get your copy now by joining us at mgcc.co.uk Well brilliant talking to Tom there, Adam, and lovely guy and lovely to hear that story of that magnet within his family. And like me, I'm sure you'll agree, when he finally does get to drive it, that's gonna be an
1: amazing experience. Yeah, that'll be incredible. Um and I hope we can catch up with Tom once the car's sort of on the road and, and up together
0: absolutely and that's what the mg car club is all about of course he mentioned tom in his interview there just how much help he'd had from the mg car club in sourcing parts and information to restore that lovely magnet and you can be a part of that too simply join the club by going to the mg podcast page at mgpodcast.uk or mgcc.co.uk that's the main club website and joining us now and you too could benefit from not only the camaraderie that everyone in the mg car club enjoys around the world as part of this global family but also that technical support and help and thrown in of course is a fantastic monthly magazine safety fast all part of your membership to the mg car club and also if you visit mgcc.co.uk you'll come across our shop and lots of nice new shiny stuff in there again adam and uh, i think my hands are a little bit too big for them but we've got some very elegant ladies gloves
1: Yeah, they're lovely. I mean, like you say, they're a bit big for me as well. I'm a um, sometimes semi-retired goalkeeper, so um, my big meaty paws aren't going to fit inside (laughs) these ladies' gloves. Um, But now that the weather is turning a little bit, cooler and we are sort of now in September. Um the you know we are looking at uh, heading towards winter. So now is an ideal time to to get yourself sorted for using your MG through the winter. So what better than a nice good quality pair of ladies leather driving gloves. Proper quality these
0: and 17 pounds 50 from the shop ladies leather driving gloves in pink and yellow beading. I like them. Very nice, very elegant ladies. Get yourself a pair quickly. And for the blokes, we've got MGB cufflinks. And these are some kind of uh, like in mgb picture the best way to describe them really you've got to go and have a look at them they're on the shop mgcc.co.uk mgb cufflinks they're in green and red the best colors for mgbs as adam will not agree
1: i disagree there i'm waiting for uh for a to get some blaze orange gt couplings and stuff but i think they might be a week or two away i think
0: you might be waiting a little bit longer for blaze orange (laughs) or you get your umbral paints out adam from your airfix kit buy a green set and just paint them yourself
1: it's not a bad idea although if you'd ever seen my attempts at any model making i once had a piece of the starship enterprise glued to my hand for the best part of (laughs) of a day so uh, let's not go down the model making set again
0: Uh, the toughest thing was always to not get glue on windows and make them go all white that was the hardest thing oh, to do so frustrating <laughs> i did a number of mgbs in airfix actually airfix did a really good mgb convertible model didn't they um had a green one on the front of the box does anyone remember that has anyone still well, got theirs?
1: Enough, in my drawer here at kimber house in the bottom drawer i have that exact airfix kit. <laughs> really? there you go yeah
0: <laughs> i remember it well <laughs> I don't know why we're talking about airfix kits. We were talking about MGB cufflinks, and they're on the shop now. They're eighteen quid. And uh, if all of that is all a bit too much sort of fashion for you, cufflinks and gloves, we've got good old blokey stuff. We got a metal garage sign, and we had a metal garage sign. Tell us all about metal it. Gary signs. That's
1: it. Well, Gov, um, the thing is, with a metal garage, no, I'll drop the accent. Um, <laughs> so these are um, a bit like the sort of street signs you'd see in the states. Um, these are pressed steel, nothing to do with the the works in Swindon. Um, these are pressed steel uh, road signs, um, and I believe uh, Inika was telling me they're actually made in the states by uh, by prisoners. Um, so a bit of what? a quirky fact of it. yeah yeah they're made honestly
0: wow okay so uh, not only are you buying a fantastic piece of mg memorabilia you're also contributing to the rehabilitation of perhaps a murderer or something somewhere which is uh, it's like a civic duty that in many ways anyway right. a bit of retro stuff for your garage wall the mg metal garage sign 13 pounds 50 it seems cheap now i know why knowing how they're made
1: <laughs> so they're all on the club
0: shop for you mgcc.co.uk uh, you can find them all by searching the search bar or of course i put the links in the email newsletter that goes out to you every saturday as well just a little roundup of some of the new products and the mg car club shop and that just about brings Another fantastic MG Car Club podcast to a close. We'll see you with another podcast very, very soon For me, Wayne Scott. Cheerio. See you soon, guys. Take care. Subscribe to receive new episodes of the MG Car Club podcast at
1: mgpodcast.uk.